listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, everyone? Chris Lopez here, and welcome back to another Drinks and Deep Dives show. So I think this is our fifth or sixth show. It's coming together really, really well. I'm excited about today's show. A little bit different than the last couple we've done. This is going to focus not so much on deal analyses and current market trends, but a lot more on some important investment metrics. So the main thing we're talking about is IRR, the internal rate of return, which is probably about the most complex uh, metric you can use to measure return. So we're going to spend the majority the majority of the show talking about that and the relating the IRR so you understand it, and then also relating to some common questions that investors have. So definitely stay tuned for it, and please ask us questions, whether it's live or after the show, because we're going to go on this topic in many future shows as well, and into some new stuff that my guest and co-host today, Chelsea Scott, is working on. Good morning, Chelsea. Chris, good morning. How are you? Doing great. Awesome. I mean, it's a Wednesday. We're talking yep. IRR. We're having a drink. That's right. Life is pretty good. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, here you go. Yes. So, kind of, I know you... You you um, put together a great slide deck and IRR that we'll go into in a couple minutes. Yep. But backtracking into it, what led you into incorporating IRR into the portfolio analysis spreadsheet? Yeah, great great question. So um, you and I both own some condos in a similar in the same complex. And many of our and, clients do as well. And many of our <laughs> clients do, and and um, even other other members of our team mm-hmm. own some. So it's a it's a popular place to invest, and we've seen some really significant appreciation since 2020. Um, it's really been mind blowing and very exciting for us. So that appreciation bump really had me thinking about where are my returns coming from in my investments? Like, are they appreciation driven or are they cash flow? And this, obviously, this condo experience for me had me asking that questions. But clients often have properties that are in either a cash flow producing market or an appreciation market. Or in the case of Denver, it's kind of a hybrid. So we have a market that really hits on both spaces. So that's what I really started asking myself, like, wait a minute, how do I start to measure my own investments? Like, where is the appreciation coming from and where is the cash flow coming from? And how, how much of this investment can I attribute to either one of those buckets? And so that is what led me to thinking about the IRR. All right. Yeah. So let me know when you're ready to switch to the slide deck, because I know, sure. is that, do you want to switch to there now? Or well, because there's, I don't know, because it's such a complicated topic. I want you to, it you're is. in the driver's seat here. Yeah. So um, let's, uh, let's do, yeah, let, let's do that. Okay. Let's switch to the slide deck, because I wanted to create some visuals for this one, because one, I myself also find it much easier to learn when there are visuals. And secondly, I just, you know, I'm hopeful that it's more engaging for the audience. Okay, so this conversation, while it is about the IRR, it's also about how much cash flow versus how much appreciation is your investment producing for you. And so what that's called is partitioning the IRR. So it means using the IRR as a metric to separate out what portion of your returns are are embedded in cash flow and what portions are embedded in appreciation. So why does that matter? Separating them out. We're we're gonna get to that. Okay. It, it matters just so that you can say to yourself, we 
do you want to increase your net worth? Is that really the goal? I mean, are you looking to say have $3 million of asset valuations in a certain period of time? Or do you really need the cash flow? Are you looking for a cash flow heavy um, investment? And so we could go ahead and partition out the IRR on an investment that you're either considering or that you have currently and give you an idea of where your returns are coming from and what the market looks like. Another reason that it matters is you may be investing in a new market and you don't know. You just don't know. And so let's look at the metrics and see what is actually happening in that market so that you understand if you're investing in an appreciating asset or a cash flowing or a hybrid. I mean, they're all pretty much hybrids, but how much, to what extent? Gotcha. Yeah. So this next slide, um, I wanna just focus on the visuals for a minute there. Um, that's a pretty scary looking property, the first visual. I mean, if you look at it, uh, I don't know if you'd ever wanna live there, but that is just to really um, identify and hone in on the fact that this is a property that needs a little TLC. It's um, literally about to fall over. It literally looks like- <laughs> For those people that can't see it. of Pisa, right? I mean, mm. it literally With is- With the fence around it so people can't go in there. <laughs> So yeah, it, it's probably like no trespassing and a little bit scary. And um, who knows what's behind that fence. So the concept there is that this is a non-stabilized property. It probably needs renovation and it may have never been leased before. It may have never had a tenant in it ever, but it's in a neighborhood that you know is really booming. It's one of those undervalued assets because maybe someone's lived in it for 50 years and has a lot of deferred maintenance. And so that's one property example. The second visual that I want you to see and, and focus on is the happy investment, the turnkey investment. Everyone's in there partying because it's a really, it's a turnkey space. It's renovated, it's been leased, it has some rental history associated with it, and you kind of know what you're getting. And so the first investment comes with more risk. And so that added risk in that first investment is basically telling you that you probably should purchase that property to discount. Now we're in an unusual market time where we have a supply demand issue, but in normal market environments, you would purchase that property for a discount. And there's those opportunities are still out there. And I know that because I personally have benefited from some myself, they are still out there. And you may be purchasing a foreclosed property or a property from a wholesaler. And in that case, that particular property is discounted. And the second property that's more turnkey is stabilized and it has, again, some rental history associated with it. And it has some renovation potentially and its maintenance has not been deferred. You may be even paying a premium for that. How does that relate to IRR? One of the questions I wanna answer in this presentation is how you can determine the price you should pay based on your expected return or what you'd like to see. If you want 10% back on your investments, we're gonna back into what you should pay for it. If you want 15% back on your investment return, ideally, we're gonna also back into what you should what you should pay for the property. So I wanted to highlight these two property types and we're gonna get back to that in a future slide. So now back to your question, what is the IRR? And more importantly, why should you care? Why should you care about this? Three reasons, there are a lot of reasons you should care about the IRR. There were three that I wanna focus on today. One is what should you pay for your investment based on your desired return? People have this notion of what they can receive in the stock market. They have this concept of what they should receive in an investment property in, in Denver or in another market. They should have a, a seven cap or a 10 cap or in the market, they should receive 12% back. But what does that all really mean? And how does that, how does that relate to what you should pay for a property? So I wanna show you how the IRR can help you make that decision. The second one is to quote something that you say frequently, Chris, is the juice worth the squeeze. Is one of my favorite sayings. I know it is. So I, I put it in the slide deck. I thought this would be a good criticism here. And basically, <laughs> uh, yeah. Will it cash flow and will it appreciate and will it make the investment worthwhile and how much is coming from each segment? So that's partitioning the IRR. That's what we're going to get into as well. 
And then if this were a large multifamily investment, would it make sense to invest in this property? Anytime you're buying something over a four unit, you're more than likely in the prospectus going to see an IRR. Mm -hmm. They're going to produce that for you. They're going to show you that. So how would that relate if you're going to move into that space? You're going to leverage up or maybe you do own an aplex or maybe you do own a 25 unit property. And so how does that IRR matter in those scenarios? So we're going to we're going to attempt to answer all three of those questions here. Okay. So let's talk about the IR versus the cap rate, right? Who doesn't know about a cap rate, right? Everyone knows about the cap rate. I want to make a really simple illustration to talk about how the cap rate is different from the IRR. The cap rate is what we call a nominal value or a static value. It is simply the NOI over the current value of the property. It's a simple calculation. It's assuming that everything stays static. Everything yep. doesn't move. We're not factoring in inflation. We're not factoring in a refinance. We're not factoring in CapEx and we're not factoring in appreciation. We're saying today in this snapshot of time, this photograph. Whereas the IRR is more like a video and it's mm -hmm. more like something that has a lot of moving parts. When you look at a photograph of let's say a sports team, you can analyze and evaluate it and make observations on it pretty simply. But when you're watching a game live, you have to have commentators. You have to have people that are multiple people looking at the field, making observations because so much is going on. Well, that's actually what's happening with your investment. You actually have people, you have a lot of things that are moving parts throughout the lifetime of owning a property. What are some of those moving parts? What does that mean? We're going to take a jar and we're going to put all the IRR components into this jar. We're going to say over the lifetime, you have cash flow that's going to fluctuate. It's not like every year you're getting $10 off your $100. You're not getting the same exact cash flow year over year. Things change. Rents change, taxes change, insurance changes, potentially the market environment changes. So you could have cash flows that go like this. Yeah. They're not smoothed out. You're going to have in, um, interest rates that may change because you may refinance the property. You're going to have inflation. You're going to have appreciation on the property and you're going to have capital expenditures or potentially just maintenance or repairs to the property. All of those things are going on during the lifetime of the investment and all of them affect cash. They affect how the dollars are performing. So the IR is much more dynamic. It's not as static as what the cap rate is. And that's why this can matter because we want to look at the investment over Let's just use a 10-year period, and we want to understand all the moving parts in that investment. So if you think of it visually, that jar is filled with all of the different moving parts that's packed into the IRR calculation. So here, I looked into how are we going to create this IRR? And so chief investment officers of large corporations use the IRR regularly to pitch to their investors, to pitch to their group, to pitch to their company. Well, that's usually the main metric they use, right? Absolutely. IRR is a huge measure that is used. And here's part of why they look at the cost of capital and that cost of capital for an investor that's looking at a single family home or a condo is really more about the interest rate. Like that's what they're thinking about. How much is it going to cost me to take out this mortgage? 4%, 3.5%, 6%. And that's their cost of capital. That's what they're paying to borrow the money. In a major corporation, that might also be, what does it cost them to put the money here? versus the opportunity cost of not putting it here. So the cost can have some moving, like different reasons, but for our purposes in this example, for our investors, we're just gonna look at it as, how much does it cost you on the interest rate to look at, to do this? Another way that people, when calculating the IRR, that individuals will actually go and decide on that IRR is they're going to look at their expected rate of return. So maybe a company says, we want to invest only in opportunities that bring us 20% back on our, on our money. 
So they're going to create an IRR calculation based on a 20% discount rate because that's basically their expected rate of return. Other CFOs and other different compliant, like officers that are actually looking at the investment itself are going to discount it based on the cost of capital. So I looked at it based on the cost of capital for the condo that we own. So I said, okay, if I'm going to create an IRR for this condo, because I want to know how much I'm gaining in appreciation versus cash flow in this condo, I discounted it back using the interest rate because I thought that was the simplest, cleanest way to do it. I'm not necessarily looking at if I'd put this money into a single family home or if I put it in another space, what's my opportunity cost? I'm more concerned about this is what I'm paying on the money that I'm borrowing. So how's that going to impact my hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So what is the interest rate on the condo? So the interest rate I used in this example is 4% because I thought that was really current with today's market trends. Yep. Like 4% is probably a good average. Some people may have 375. If you're super lucky, you have 2.85. You know, it really ranges. But I thought 4% in today's climate made a lot of sense. So I, I used 4%. Totally agree. I brought this slide up just to show the complexity. I just wanted to like say, what? We look at this and we say, what, how does this, how do we create an IRR? And the takeaway that I want to provide here is basically that IRR is a break-even point. So what people want to do is make sure that whatever they're going to invest in is going to come back to a net present value of exactly the number they invested in. So they, they try to bring, the IRR brings the net present value back to zero. So it's like, okay, if I put a hundred dollars in today and I get $10 for 10 years, you would think I just, I made back my money, but that's not actually true. Because this incorporates the time value money into it. Exactly. Which is the which means a big thing. If I give you $10 today, it's not the same as if I gave you $10 in yeah. four years. $10 in four years is probably only worth six or $7 today. And so it says, okay, great that I'm getting $10 per year, but that $10 in four years is not the same as today. So the IRR brings you back to making sure that that $100 is fully paid back over the 10-year period and then some. Everything above and then some makes it a good deal. So as long as you're getting all your money back and then some, it's a good deal. So I just wanted to show this. We're not going to get into these details. Um, it's it's basically just the complexity of the formula. And, and before we move on to here, I'm, I'm glad you showed this because, I mean, you know, as we were prepping for this, you know, I used to know IR very well. Then, you know, as years went by, I got a little, got a little fuzzy on the details of it. But IR is something that you can't calculate by hand or mentally, not cap rate or cash on cash, which is simple, you know, simple division. IRR, you have to have a spreadsheet or computer program because it is runs hundreds or thousands of calculations to figure it out. Like it's very complex. And the CF, the one, the two to three is the power to the year that you're in. So it's it's, it's calculating on each individual year. So it's, it's factoring in inflation. It's factoring in the cost of capital. It's factoring in your expected rate of return. So actually Excel has an IRR function. Yep. So it doesn't even show you all the all this this detail. It just says equals IRR, and then you put in all of your your cash flows, and then your final reversion rate, which is your sales price. So this is why I wanted to show this. Yep, to kind of illustrate how complex it actually is. So what I wanted to to show you here, okay, is the condo. We're going to model out the condo. Let's say you bought a condo today for two hundred thousand dollars, and you put fifty thousand down because that's twenty five percent. In this case, what I did is I said that in year zero your initial investment was actually $150 because that's the money you're borrowing at 4%. Oh, so you're not looking at the down payment. You're looking at the the mortgage you borrowed. I am because that's the money you're borrowing. So I'm saying to you, the reason I did that was twofold. The first reason was that people like to say, if I, if I was in the stock market, I would get a better, like the cap rates only six or five, I would get 10 or 12% if I put in the stock market. 
but you don't have $150,000 put in the stock market. Hmm. You only have $50,000 in this case. So this money is borrowed. So I wanted to show the return on money that you don't even have. You're borrowing. So what's your return on the money that somebody else gave you? Like you're borrowing the money, but what did you actually walk with in the end on that money? So I put in $150,000 as the initial investment. I discounted the IRR back by 4%, which is the interest rate you're paying on it. And then I took the cash flows of what we see in this condo that we actually have modeled out for a 10-year period. And I say, these are all the cash flows we have over a 10-year period in this condo. Let's discount them back to the present value, what they would be worth if we got that money today and not in year 10. And then I added up the final uh, analysis to say, here's what your net present value will be after you sell it in year 10. Now, the sales price I put in of $328,000 and change was created by using a 3% appreciation rate on that condo. Now, we saw our condos go up to a $240,000 valuation in one year. So what I did is in the first year, I used 3% on $200,000. And in the second year, I started at $240,000. So I took that spike that was seen in year one and I factored that in. Then I used a 3% appreciation rate and said, in 10 years, you can sell this condo for $328,000. So the net present value of this full investment after you back out your borrowed money is you gain $219,000, which is a 10.21% return on your investment. Why does that matter? You didn't have that money, you borrowed it. You borrowed money from somebody and you walked away with 10.2% of value. That's incredible. And that out that surpasses the cap rate that we show people on this condo and that we actually have realized on this condo or are realizing is that we're getting a cap rate of 6.5, but your full internal rate of return on this property is 10.21%. Now, if you refinance, if you have a lot of capex, we'll factor that in as well. This does not include all of those different moving parts. Those would go into the in the process. Let's say you refinance and you ended up at a 2.75% interest rate, it would change a lot. Let's say you put 5,000 into the property, we would factor that in as well. So there are some static portions here, but this is just a pretty simple illustration. And again, this is this is modeling. I mean, modeling, modeling. is great yep, until, like, reality until reality tomorrow. That's right. And it's like a pro forma, which is all you can go on in a prospectus. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about this because I've never seen it done this way where you use the mortgage balance versus like the cash outlay. Yep. When I've done IRR calculations, I've always done, I I, I would put negative 50,000 near zero. And actually for those listening on the podcast, it's got uh, 11 rows, mm-hmm. uh, zero through 10, then the next column is cash flows. Next column is a present value. Year zero is when you purchase a condo. So you have a negative 150 for the mortgage balance. I've always done it with, you know, hey, what's my down payment? What's my cash? Because the reason I do that is if I got $50,000, I can put $50,000 in the stock market yep. or I can put $50,000 property. Agreed. So I'm really curious as to why, I know you mentioned, but I want to peel back then and why'd you go the mortgage way versus the cash outlay way? It's a great question. And the reason I did is that companies usually have all the money that they're investing. So if they're buying something for 200,000, their initial investment's 200,000. And I didn't want to skew it so much. If I put 50,000 in there, the IRR would be like 30%. Oh, I know. And that is true. You are really getting 30% on the money that you have. I wanted to show borrowers that without money, they even have investors. I wanted to show them that this is money they don't even have. And they're getting 10.2% of money they don't have. If we downsize that to a $50,000 initial cash outlay, you'd be at a 30% IRR. And that's exactly the next point. It's a perfect segue because it's what I was going to say next. Okay. I redid this with a $50,000 discount to show basically that scary house. 
Let's say that in the neighborhood where you knew you were getting these rents for a three bed, two bath condo, you found a condo that had been significantly deteriorated in a building very close by. And you owned it, you owned one of these units and you said, wow, that's basically the same thing I have right now. It needs about $15,000 of work to it. And it's never been leased before, but I already know the rents that I'm pulling for a three bed, two bath. If I just go and renovate it, I'm going to attempt to buy it at $150,000. So that would be the discounted property. That would be the property that's a little scary to walk into, but you already have some history on this. You know, this neighborhood, you know what it's already doing. So you go in and you say, you know what, I'm going to buy it, but I'm going to buy it at 150 because it needs work. Well, that, that down payment on 150 is $37,500. That leaves you with around $13,000 to improve the property. You put some sweat equity into it. You put $13,000 of paint and carpet and you, you bring it up to market and you rent it with the same cash flow as you have now. Okay. That IRR goes to 15%. You just added 50% to your internal rate of return by getting a discount on that property. So that's the difference between a turnkey property with rental history and that's ready to go versus a property that you know the neighborhood, you're getting it at a discount, you're gonna watch your returns go up significantly. That's why people get excited about wholesalers. That's why people get excited about foreclosed properties. That's why people get excited about properties that are under market. In their mind, they may be thinking, I'm getting a great deal. But what does that mean? The great deal means you just increased your internal rate of return by 50%. That's huge. Just by paying $50,000 less. So when I reran that with a negative $100,000 initial investment, instead of a negative 150, it came out to a 15% return. So that's just kind of an interesting way to look at what should I pay for a property? Like if you really want 15% back on a property, I would advise you like you should go find one then that's undervalued and you should you should bid low on it and try to bring it up to market rate. But would you still, like if you're sitting with a client analyzing it, would you still plug in the mortgage balance of money borrowed or would you actually plug in the cash outlay? I could do both and show them the difference. Because I mean, like this, this is kind of tripping me up like because this this is new to me doing the mortgage balance yeah. and, it, and it, it goes against everything I've done for the last, 20 years I got in the finance. So you're I'm, looking at cash on cash. Returns. Yeah. You're looking at like- Well, not cash on cash, cash. It's just the capital I have. Well, exactly. So the cash you outlaid yeah. and then the cash you're getting back. So that's what you're looking at. You're like, I put in $50,000 and I'm getting almost four. But isn't that a more accurate way to analyze it? So accurate, Or is there no yes, right or wrong? Because this is a whole new, like, I'm in right field, you're in left field. So it's, it's very new to me doing it by this yeah, way. I did it because you're discounting back by the interest rate. And I wanted to show how much the money you borrowed was actually producing for you. So I wanted to show it on a more kind of down to the ground level. You're totally right. You're, you're totally right. You could absolutely model it that way. And the reason you model it that way is because you're telling people, and I do the same in an advising session, for the $50,000 that you have today, look at what you're getting back. For yeah. the money that you personally had on hand to get. The, now what I'm showing is for the money that someone else is giving you, that you're borrowing, look at how much you're actually getting back on money you don't have right now. Gotcha. So it is, it's, it's a left field, right field. It's a perfect way to describe it. It literally is looking at like both, both different sides of the field. So you're right. It's a newer way, but the way that when I was looking at partitioning the IRR, again, companies use the IRR for the full investment value. They don't separate out the down payment. So I wanted to show like a bigger initial chunk going in and then bring it out to a space where it wasn't quite as inflated. It definitely will inflate a significant amount, like I said, closer to 30 or 40% even internal rate of return. To me, that's a little bit, it's not inaccurate. It's not inaccurate, but it's not the way the IRR works because the IRR is looking usually at a larger investment where they say, what is the total amount we're putting in on this? Total amount, not down payment and not borrowed money. 
And then what is it producing on an internal rate? The stock market works the same way. They're not going to lend you money Mm -hmm. to go into the stock market. If you have $100,000 to invest with them, great. You'll get a return of 10 to 12%. I'm saying here, you'll get that $50,000 back in the end. And it's not factored into your net present value. So you're going to get like 269,000 and change back is what your final number is going to be. But what I want to do is I want to say, okay, great. But I want to look at it as the money that you don't have, you're still getting 10.21% back on. Okay. Yeah. So, but I hear what you're saying. So now this is partitioning out the IRR. So all that this is, is your initial cash flow instead of it being vertical, it's horizontal. That's really the biggest difference. These are the same numbers we just looked at a minute ago. The sales price, the cash flows, the initial investment, they're all the same. And so when you look at this, what ended up happening here is I want I want viewers to focus on the bottom portion of this spreadsheet. I discounted all the, the present values back using the 4% interest rate. And I discounted the reversion or the, the sales price using the discount rate and came up with a total number of what today's present value would be on the sale of this property, as well as on the cash flows of this property. And what the, the, the end result was when I divided the final analysis of all your cash flows and your sales price, and I divided it by what did you get in the sale? And then what did you get in your cash flow? This particular condo is producing almost 75% in appreciation and 25% on cash flow. That's where the partitioning to me becomes fascinating. Now, so let's work on the extremes of that. There's something called a leasehold where you buy a lease on a property and you, let's just use really simple numbers and say you spend $100 to buy a lease. You get $10 every year for 10 years. And in the end, you give the lease back to the original owner of the building. You get nothing back. You get zero back. That is an example of 100% cash flow. Because you got your money back and then some mm-hmm. potentially. So let's say you get $12 per year. So you get $120 in the end. You got your money back and then some, but you have no, nothing to sell. Now, let's say you're in a primary residence, your own home. That's 100% appreciation. There's no cash flow. So that's where the two opposite ends of that full bell curve lie is if it's your primary residence, it's 100% appreciation play in terms of what you're going to get in the end. And if it's a leasehold, you're 100% in a cash flow position with nothing to sell. So those are the kinds of things that can really help us determine when we have historic data on a rental property, we can pop this in here and say, what is the performance telling us? What is this supposed to produce in cash flow every year? And let's put in a conservative 3% appreciation rate and see what you might sell it for in 10 years. And let's figure out how much of this property your is increasing your net worth and how much is increasing your actual cash position. So relating this back to investors, like what's the key takeaway on here for them? The key takeaway is that if they are if they really want to hold a property for a long period and they're interested in selling it for a life event, let's say, or they just want to increase their net worth, they want $3 million, like I said, of real estate assets under their under their belt, evaluation, right? Not what they paid for it, but their actual current valuation. Then they're really interested in the appreciation and they should buy in markets and places where their appreciation is strong, which we have here in Denver. If they need cash today, which I have a couple of people that I'm working with right now that they're very real estate rich, but cash poor, we need to find them investments that are heavier on the cash flow side. So we need to either find discounted investments that are going to have a really strong cash flow, or we need to just find an investment that the cash flows are really starting to outpace 
the appreciation because it's an investment property. It's a four, it's a fourplex, it's an eightplex. It's really, it's generally utilized by investors. And so the takeaway is that if you are interested in understanding where your returns are coming from and understanding how the time value of money works and factoring in all the different components of your investment, the IRR partition is a great way to do that. The second takeaway is that some people just want to know what the IRR is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally do. I think it's a fascinating metric. We see it a lot. It's coming up more frequently. And I really want to know what it's all about. So, you know, that might be something that people just want to walk through the exercise. They don't just want the static numbers of the cap rate. The cap rate's great, but and, and it's definitely what people will buy and sell on. But now they want to know a little bit more. They want to understand a little bit deeper how that investment is actually performing. And so that's a second key takeaway. And the third is we can back into that purchase price or how much money they should borrow. Maybe they're deciding, should I put 25% down? Should I put 30% down? Should I put half down? Because maybe they're 1031, 1031ing into a new investment. And if they want to understand that, we can we can model this out to say, well, if you borrow less, then you're going to end up with more cash flow. And that seems obvious, but we can actually look at how that shakes out and get them to a perfect point where they say, well, I want this money. I want it to grow. I want it to appreciate but I also want half of it to come from cash flow. Well, let's find that exact break-even point between 50% appreciation and 50% cash flow and tell you what percentage down you should you should put on a property. So in, in terms of just maximizing IRR, you know, I've mentioned this in the last few episodes. I've talked to a lot of clients about this, and it goes back to in this seller's market we're in right now with very low inventory, high demand, mm-hmm. you know, from a pure like, you know, return on investment, return equity, it's like still a great time to sell. 1031 and trade up into a you know higher cap rate property and using more leverage. You know, those are generally the two key principles to help you get a greater return. Now, incorporating IRR in there, mm-hmm. I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you, like if I'm doing if I'm looking to, you know, maximize my overall return and with a more complex model like IRR, does it still make sense to sell and trade up? Or does that differ from when you compare it with ROI and ROE on those scenarios? Yeah, so I definitely think it still makes sense to sell and trade up. I mean, when you when you look at how this works, people, one thing again, one common thing people will talk about, especially when they're 1031ing, although you can't 1031 into stocks, but when they're doing an exchange is what are all my options? Like mm-hmm. what's gonna give me the greatest return? And in the case of this particular property, this includes a property manager. And we we both have the same property manager on this condo. And so doesn't necessarily mean more labor intensive, this particular property. So it's like, if, if you're going to do this or you're going to trade the property into something else that seems to be low, lower maintenance, maybe, if that's something they're considering, this property is still producing a 10, 12, 15% internal rate of return. People see cap rates and cap rates are generally four to 6%. And just in their own mind, they start to say, well, this is not giving me as much as this 10 or 12% investment over here. But when you use the IRR, it really is. So why wouldn't you trade up and get a and, and have a better property, a bigger property, one that's producing better cash flows for you, maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars per year, and you're using that down payment and maybe using more of that down payment to lower your borrowed cash, and then you're going in and you're still getting those higher returns. This to me levels the playing field with other investments that in people's minds, they think I'm getting 10 to 12 to 14% on this investment, but I'm only getting a six cap here, but not really, not really. You're at really 10 10 to 15% on this property, depending on how much you bought it for, how much you put down on it. 
And so it really is equaling other investments. And so when you look at your just general return on investment or your ROI or ROE, those are more static numbers. Those mm-hmm. are just static. Those are saying how much money did you actually earn over time in cash flow? How much did you sell the property for? Subtract out all the debt you have on it. Look at the de- depreciation recapture and hit enter. And those are real numbers. Those are real numbers, but they're not actually showing you how this investment performed over time, factoring in all those things that are inside the jar. So yes, I, w- I would say yes. All right. Well, just as we wrap up this live, yeah. I mean, this is a a new thing you're incorporating into the spreadsheet, right? For PA for portfolio analysis. Yep. All right. People can partition their IRAs. All right. Yep. And so they'll pull data from the properties and put it in there and choose mm-hmm. some partitions, right? Yep. And we can also do some forecasting. So I already have forecasting embedded in the portfolio analysis spreadsheet. So I look ahead 10 years and I put some assumptions in like 3% per year on appreciation. And so if they don't have future cash flows, if they want to do this over a 10 year period, I have that for them. Okay. So I'm projecting forward with a 2% increase in, in rents, a 1% increase in operating expenses, and then a 3% appreciation rate. We can do some pro forma analysis, look 10 years ahead and see what this will produce. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, thank you. Yeah. This is this has been great. And and you know, hopefully our audience followed because IR is it's a very complex. I always debate, do we talk yes, about it? Do we I not? Know. Because it's kind of like one of those can of worm things. But from a high level, you know, go back to what Chelsea talked about. It's just a, it's a more comprehensive way to take into the holding period and the time value money of both cash flow mm-hmm. and what you sell it for. And I just want to mention that if people are confused in any way, or this is just it's it's it is. It's a fire hose for sure. It's people are are maybe confused. A one-on-one session helps clear that up. I would pull this up. We would work with an investment they're considering or they currently have, and we could look through this and it will definitely clarify. Great. All right. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Chris. viewers, listeners out there. Thank you guys for joining us again. We're doing more of these shows every Wednesday at 12. So make sure you comment on the video, email us questions, hit us on social and start joining us live. We'll start having some in-person studio guests to join us. We're going to make it more fun, more communal, but please just engage with us because what we're doing is fun. We can do some deep dives and it's always just educational. So Chelsea, thanks again. Thanks, Chris. Bye, everyone. Bye.